You're listening to Big Shot Business Podcast. The what, the why, and the how of building and running a successful business on the African continent. Here's your host, Linkford Biz. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Big Shot Business Podcast. This week, I have a topic that I've been really, really wanting to talk to you about. It's something that I have noticed over the years, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to start talking about Today's episode is sponsored by Awesome Labs. For everything you need to build your own online store, do the smart thing. Visit beawesome.co.za. Awesome Labs, the web is chemistry. So welcome to another episode. And I've been I've been on this topic for I think over a couple of years now, and it's something that has been on my heart, on my mind just waiting for a moment to really get into it. I think this will be um, maybe part one. We'll probably get into another part two of it because it's it's such a huge topic and it, it has so many moving parts that I don't think I'll be able to speak about it just me by myself. I'll, I'll probably need to have other people coming in to talk about it because it's a topic that really affects the entire continent and we are primely positioned right now to actually deal with it. So what is it that I'm talking about? I'm talking about the opportunities on the African continent, opportunities that everybody else is talking about, but not us. Everybody else is talking about how huge the African market is, and they've been talking about it for the past years, but we haven't come to that point where it becomes common talk that Africa is the biggest market right now. And it's the biggest market for the next 30, 50 years, right? So these are some of the things that we need to be talking about. And that's what this episode is going to be about. Because it's high time we started talking about these things. It's high time we started seeing Africa for really what it is. I remember uh, back in the day when I was still in high school, I was never really a, a history student, a mistake on my part because um, of the importance of what history actually is. But... That's yet another point of debate because we don't really know the exact events because we were not there. These are stories we were told. And most of the times the stories we are told also have the undertones of what the people that are telling those stories are thinking, how they were raised, their cultures and their biases and their prejudices. All of those things get encrypted into into the history that they then tell us. So it's never a clear cut what history is. So I was never a huge student of it. Of course, now that the resources are there, I'm looking into it from, from, from numerous resources, you know, from, from uh, uh, available sources and some sources that are now only now actually being able to be verified. But anyways, so I was never really uh, uh, much into history. Yet there was this topic that I never forgot. I remember my history teacher then, Mr. Stolle, um, who used to call him Mr. Sitol. So Mr. Sitol, if you're listening to this, please don't. <laughs> you know, uh, anyways, Mr. Stolle would talk about the scramble and petition for Africa, how um, the West uh, rushed to grab as much of Africa as they could. Uh, um, and he talks about how all of that then formed Africa into this sort of paradise that they were all rushing to because of the opportunities that were there. But then 
over the years, of course, we've had liberation struggles and have had to gain our independence. And um, Africa has slowly come out of the the, the colonial era, even though um, signs of it are still everywhere. I mean, we still have governments today that are still under mental colonialism or a form of neocolonialism. And that's 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 quite a problem right now because we're we're getting another generation that is coming in and asking the questions: Why are certain things still in place that empower former colonial powers? You know, and those are those are all topics that are coming up, and it's a very interesting moment that we're living in because all the information that we've been told we're beginning to challenge, all the 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 the, the history or the the facts, so to speak, facts in quotations, so to speak, that we were told that these are unfailable facts. We're beginning to know that some of those things were not true, right? We're beginning to know some of the discussions that happened in secret, some of the discussions that led to our independence. You know, we're beginning to see some of the the underhanded um, types of negotiations that were done for us to win our, our independence where we would have the independence to freely move but wouldn't have the independence to freely grow economically in a world that is mostly controlled by economic policies so all of those things are beginning to pile upon each other and the generation is beginning to ask questions questions like if we fought for 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 independence how come we still don't own our own land if we fought for independence how come we are still the 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 poorest in in, in so to speak if we if we got our independence how come we don't control the system that is governing us how come the system that is governing us is based on people that have nothing to do with us, people that don't understand our cultures, people that don't understand how we think, how we work, how we are raised up, you know, people that do not know what Ubuntu is, right? We're beginning to see all of those uh, um, questions popping up, you know? And it is the youth. And here I'm going to be a bit more specific because uh, the international uh, um, uh, definition of youth is people between 15 and 24, right? But... When I'm referring to youth here, I'm actually going to be referring to people that are 15 to 34, right? Um, or even 35. We can work with 35 because they're still within they're still within the phase. And when I talk about this generation, I'm talking about people that are uh, below the age of 44. You know, people that are within that that uh, that um, age generation, so to speak. And I'm going to be more specific because these are the people that are asking the questions right now. These are the people that are asking the questions as to where is the economic freedom that we fought for uh, or that our fathers fought for in some cases for countries that had their independence a bit uh, uh, um, earlier. We're asking those questions because we have seen firsthand what it's like to be in power but have no power. Right, which is which is what most governments are right now in Africa. They are in power, but they have no power because our monetary systems are not controlled by us. Our uh, uh, um, our industries are not controlled by us. Most of these things, of course, somebody can come up and say, "Hey, look, we had to make partnerships here and there. You cannot just work on your own." We were coming out of war. We didn't know how these systems ran, and these were the only people that we could work with, and all of that. You can tell me all of that stuff, but. We have had countries that have had independence from the 50s, 
you don't need 50 years to learn how a system works, right? We need people that know how the system works. And this is the generation that actually understand how the system works. That's why we're challenging it. And of course, some may tell us that, hey, look, you don't have the full picture. Yeah, we don't have the full picture and nobody ever has. So even those that are in power right now don't have the full picture. They might have made negotiations that were advantageous at that moment, but in the long term, they are proving not to have been advantageous. There are so many countries in Africa right now, whilst they enjoy so much independence, so much democracy, their citizens are not free. Their citizens are not uh, uh, free to get into whatever business they want. They're not free to uh, um, get up to to start their own prosperity machines, so to speak. Because at most, Africa is still described as a poor continent. Yet this is the biggest market. I don't get that. I don't get how Africa can be the poorest continent, yet it is the biggest market. Something is not adding up. And these are the questions that we're beginning to ask. So as I was looking at this topic, I I really wanted to know what is it that the people that are investing in Africa, what are they... What are they getting? What information are they feeding on, right? And I usually say I love getting my information from the bank, right? Because when the bank is telling their investors, I think they kind of want a win-win situation where the bank gets its money and the investors are happy, right? Whether those returns are minimal or, or stupendous, it doesn't matter. For the fact that there is a form of win-win, I want to know what the banks are telling their investors. And some of that information is publicly available. Of course, some you won't get, but some of it is publicly available. And thank God for the internet. And I'm glad that Africa is actually uh, um, increasing the adoption of internet access in cities and in rural areas and things like that. And these are some of the things we'll also have to work on. But we'll talk about that as we go. My focus when I was really looking into this uh, into this topic, why is it that there are companies that have been in Africa for decades, and we are told that um, we are told that Africa is the poorest continent. We're told that Western countries, Eastern countries, and all those have to put together funds to give aid to Africa. But then I don't get that. Why give aid to Africa? If Africa is your market, what are you trying to aid? It it, it looks like a very uh, um, covered up uh, conflict of interest of sorts in that a company wants employees and then it turns around, exploits the, the, the minerals and the resources that those employees own under the 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 hat of no the state owns these resources so we bought them from the state of which the state is the people not the members of the parliament or the members of government that are sitting in the offices the state is the people that's what it's supposed to be because we got africa back under the premise that the people shall govern i believe it that that's how it was in most of the in most of the countries so we can use that as an average so we have these corporations that have been in Africa since colonialism and have been reaping profits and profits and profits. And they've wrecked so much wealth that even now some of our governments are scared of them. They can't chase them out because, hey, we'll, we'll lose all the other investors because this is a huge company. If we're beginning to play around with these things, the entire economy could crumble. 
And of course, we understand that. But this is the generation that is asking the questions, why are those systems still in place? If we fought against the, 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 the colonial masters, why are we still pushing the colonial masters um, systems? Right. This is some of the systems that were not designed for us. If you if you if you can really understand that. So I was looking into it and uh, I came across um, a couple of reports by the Africa Development Bank. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. The Africa Development Bank. Right. And some of the statistics that they were, they were they were they were talking about, you can see that there is growth in Africa. There is growth. Economically, there is growth. Right. You can see there are places where you've, you've had your, your, your uh, 4% growth uh, for, for the year 2019. And as the, the outlook for, um, for the year 2020 and going further, everything is really looking up. So you wonder if the banks are saying things are looking up, how come the people on the ground are not feeling the same? Right. Of course, you can, we, we can get into individual wealth. If you want to prosper, you can do it yourself. We can get into all of that. But my question is, how much are we losing by leaving people behind? How much are you losing by leaving people behind? There's an example that was once given to me where a father was driving through a city and he sees a homeless child begging. Right. And he refused to, 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 to give help to that child. And the story goes, he, he had a son and later on, I think about 20 or so years after, his son gets killed by that same child that he refused to give help to, right? And the question then was, could his help have changed the circumstances that led to his own son being killed by the same person? Of course, nobody can ever know that. You cannot even calculate. You could calculate it if you have the right computers, but the right formulas and the right algorithms for it. But there are things that we are losing without knowing that we are losing. And therefore, they seem of no value to us because we don't even know that we're losing them. And these begin to show up in cracks of society. Cracks of society like dysfunctional families and youth that are trapped in between what the grown-ups tell them and what the world tells them. So we've got we've got the youth, which, like I said, it's it's people between the ages of 15 up to 35, we can take it. They're tripped in between. They've been referred to by so many names. It's the lost generation. They have identity crisis. They are westernized. They are this. They're still called on And there's so many things that we've said about, about that generation. And my question still remains. If this generation is the generation that is asking the questions about all the systems that after independence we left as they were and we just continued running that machine and that machine is failing, what did we gain from that independence? Because if independence was so we can just so we can just change who is leading, then it was useless. We went to war for nothing and those that fought would have died for nothing if it didn't change anything. The leaders right now should be ashamed of themselves because their fellow comrades are turning in their graves, looking at the type of leadership that they have done over the years and the type of nations that they have built. Looking at what banks are saying to their investors, 65% of the African population is below the age of 35. Now, if you don't get the, the implication of that, I'll put it to you in a more detailed context. With a more youthful uh, um, population, the labor market for Africa 
would be more stronger and more capable and push for growth more than all the other economies, making Africa a potential superpower because we have the time and time is the most expensive commodity. If we have the largest youth market, then that means we also have the largest amount of time. That would bring in a very robust economic growth. Not the 4 5% that we're hearing about, even the type of growth that China saw, right? We could bring that about because we have a very youthful uh, uh, population. And Africa has that. It's rated as the most youthful continent. And we have that. This is what banks are telling their investors, right? And saying, watch out. This, this market here, this market here, this continent has the largest youth population, meaning that they're going to drive growth for the next 30 years. The question is, why are we not talking about it? Why are we not doing something about it? This is, this is us right now. And you know, by the time this information reaches the public, it would have been information that was uh, applicable years prior, right? But this is information that is coming out now and we need to start taking advantage of it, right? So a youthful continent could support a stronger economy. And with stronger economies, Africa could actually start working towards uh, economic dominance in the world. Of course, um, riddled into that is the fact that Africa is divided into countries, which we actually never had before colonialism. Begging the question again, why did we continue colonial systems? Anyways, so if Africa has the, the, the largest youth and could drive and support a stronger economy, why haven't we? Why haven't the economic analysts and the advisors of our governments say to them, hey, look, this is the valuable resource that you have the most, right? And this is what you could do with it, right? Because right now, according to a report by the Africa Development Bank, Africa is not taking advantage of its capacity because one, the human capital uh, formation is not as effective as it's supposed to be. Two, education has not been prioritized. Can you believe that? Education has not been prioritized to match the demand. So again, we go back to supply and demand, right? So if Africa's human capital formation is in work and uh, education is not, uh, is not prioritized to perfectly fit the, the, the demand on the market, something here is not working properly, right? Of course, I know in some countries, there are places where they're putting these things together and figuring it out as they go. And that's a very good thing because in so doing, you get to uncover some of the challenges that you would have never found solutions for if you had not gone that route. But anyways, so if the human capital, I, I don't like that term. I wonder why they even use it that way. Anyways, if the human capital formation is broken, that means Africa is creating 3.1 million jobs a year, but it's getting over 10 million youth joining the job market. That's the situation right now. Over 10 million people, over 10 million people leave school to join the job market each year. And we're only creating 3.1 million jobs. I don't need to tell you the math there. And you wonder why there's so much unemployment. And this is the information that is available publicly, right? So, it's a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs 
And this is where the scramble and petition for Africa has to come in because it's no longer the scramble and petition for Africa by Europeans. It's now the scramble and petition for Africa by Africans because we're the ones that have to go take those opportunities, right? We're the entrepreneurs, we're the people on the ground that are seeing what is really happening on our continent, right? And we are the people that have to get in there, start creating the work. And of course, you can come up and say, hey, look, until the government really puts the platform for us, I'll hold you right there. The government can create whatever platform they want. But some of these things, they're just figuring them out as they go, right? Meaning nobody actually has the answers for everything we need. We need to start creating those answers. But first things first, we have to know what's the question, right? Because we can't be saying, I have an answer. What's the question? The question is, how can we become more effective in the global market? One, as a continent, and two, as a people. How can we be more effective in the global market? And it has nothing to do with poverty. It has everything to do with prioritizing our place, who we are. We have been taken advantage for too long, for too long. The same report was saying that Africa exports minerals, metals, and agricultural produce, right? Africa imports machinery and transportation equipment. Hold on a second. Isn't machinery made out of metals? So why are we sending metals out so that we can import them as made-up products? This is, this, is, this is what I was talking about. I believe that was episode one. This is what I was talking about, about complexity, right? I would love to see complexity in Africa. I would love to see complexity. And that's where entrepreneurs come in. We need to start inventing. Of course, somebody can come up and say, hey, comparative advantage, right? These people can do these things better than we can. Yeah, they can do those things better than you can because they've been at it for a very long time. You need to start. You're running behind. You get it? Because not everything that is made outside Africa has to be made outside Africa. We've got engineers in Africa. We've got, we've got designers. We've got, we've got almost every skill that we need to make sure that everything that we ever need, we can make here. It will take time, understandable, a sacrifice necessary for our true independence. Because if we're still dependent on being the raw material continent, if we're still dependent on being a raw material continent, we'll never take the leap to being a complex, sophisticated society and civilization, right? If we're still waiting for, for, for global partners to help us and aid us in, in developing our own countries, then we will never have the independence that we're looking for. This is, this is, this is a very interesting time because these are the questions that the youth are asking right now. And it's high time governments actually started listening because this is the information the people that are going to control the next 30 to 50 years are feeding on. This is the inf these are their thoughts. These are their cogitations. Picture this. 90% of African youth live in low-income countries. That's 90% of the workforce of the youthful continent. They live in low-income countries. And these low-income countries, I mean, Africa is littered, littered with resources. And these countries that are referred to as low-income countries, they actually just need the resources to 
dig up and start creating the value that will turn them into high-income countries, right? Middle-income countries like like South Africa and Egypt, Algeria, those countries, if if we really look at them, all they've actually done is bring product to the market, right? You will find that middle and uh, and high income countries the job markets are more formal right whether public sector or private sector they're more formal right and in these low income countries the job sectors are informal right meaning that these people are just trying to make means meet but my view of it is that get a little bit of sophistication and this, you can even take it as, as, as your own personal advice, get a little bit of sophistication. Because until you get a little bit of sophistication, you cannot be trusted with the vastness of the economic machine that is running the world. So get a little bit of sophistication. So every country, every country needs to have a program where they increase their level of sophistication. Whether, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in, it's in agriculture, whether it's in mining, increase your level of sophistication. That's the only way the big bucks can actually stay in Africa. You need to get a certain level of sophistication because look at this. China has a level of sophistication that allows them to have tiny little factories running all over the place, creating huge, huge technologies, technologies that are taking jobs, those kind of technologies. And they're made in little factories, little corner shop factories, right? And the United States has the level of sophistication that allows them to start investing in military technology that has not been seen in this world, right? They have that sophistication. What level of sophistication does Africa have? Producing sorghum? It has to be the largest insult I've ever heard. We are not farmers, And the next 30 years are not going to be about farming. So governments should stop pushing us towards agriculture because we're not farmers, right? Mining is still a very dangerous industry today. I don't know how many years after it was started. It's still a very dangerous industry. In places where Africa would have designed some form of automation, some form of machinery that would do the digging instead of risking people's lives, I mean, you've got minds that could be much more powerful with a little sophistication. But what do you do with those billions of minds? Gather them up, send them into a, into a coal mine to go dig coal. Not to insult anybody's job, but that's an insult on the mind because we know very well that the mind is capable of far greater things. But all you're relegated to is digging for coal. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. If Africa has to be on the front, if Africa has to be on the actual path of independence, independence in the very meaning of that word, if Africa has to be on that path, we need to start taking advantage of the vast network of minds we have on the continent, the youthful minds, the people that have adopted technology faster than anywhere else. This is our comparative advantage, that we have the youth that have adopted technology far faster than anywhere else in the world. They're expecting that by, by, by 2050, a third of the youth, uh, youthful population of the world will be in Africa. If you're an entrepreneur and you're not seeing or sniffing the, the opportunity that is just waiting, lurking in there, if you're not seeing that, honestly, you need to open your eyes. 
Africa's growth is not going to stop. It can slow down, but it's not going to stop. And it's high time that the government started understanding that the next people to actually be doing something about Africa are going to be the youth. And these are the people that are going to actually be building the next Africa. So those vision 2030, vision whatnots, whatnots. I love the statement that South African uh, South African youth say, any decision about us without us is a decision against us. Whoever came up with that statement, that was brilliant. Because we need to start getting involved. I'm saying this because I'm still within the age group that is actually supposed to do something about Africa. And this is why I'm talking about these things, because we're in that position where we can actually do something about Africa, right? So look at the opportunities that are coming up. You now know that in the next 30 years, Africa's youthful population is only going to increase. And I'll give you one funny fact that I found in this report, that unless Africa reduces its fertility rate, right? it will not be able to grow its economy. At first, I, when I read that, I couldn't understand it. I didn't see the correlation between fertility and economic growth. But then I realized, oh, the more children you have, right? The more expenses you have, meaning uh, you will no longer be able to function in an economy because all of the income you're making is already being spent out and spread out to the expenses that you are accumulating, right? I hope I'm getting that correct. But I found that very a very interesting fact when they were saying, if we are to achieve the type of economic demograph uh, that China has achieved, at one point, we are going to have to throttle fertility. <laughs> Of course, in a democratic state, everybody would have an uproar about that and say, no, you can't stop people from uh, uh, from growing their families, right? But this is what banks are telling their investors. Unless Africa throttles its fertility, they're not going to enjoy the, the, the level of economic uh, demography that uh, uh, China has seen as it, was, it is, as it was expanding its economy. So I found that very interesting, right? And that's, these are some of the things that they're just saying. So you will notice that they're looking at these things and projecting into the future, saying that if Africa does not stop this, that means we have a greater youthful population even. At the same time, they're saying a greater youthful population is good for a strong economy, but you cannot sustain it if your population is not under control. That's what they were trying to say. But at the same time, it provides every entrepreneur with an opportunity. Have you heard about Big Shop Business Network? It's the place to be for African entrepreneurs, business owners and professionals just like you. Join millions of fellow entrepreneurs today by visiting likeabigshot.com. Big Shop Business Network. Connect, share, grow. What is it that you think that the, the youth are going to look at the most? or are going to need the most in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years? What is it that you think the youth of Africa will depend on in the next um, in the next 20 years, or in the next 30 years, in the next 50 years, right? What is it that you think Africa will need 
and what path do you think Africa will have to take, right? Because right now, Africa is mostly dependent on traditional industries, right? Traditional industries like mining, agriculture, and manufacturing in some cases, but we're not really that huge on manufacturing. That's why we're still importing machinery, right? We have not started creating machinery from here. Of course, there, there is some creation of it, you know, but at a low scale. It's not import type uh, 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 machinery that we're creating here. So what is it that you think Africa is going to need over the next 10 years? What's the next frontier? Right. And I would really be glad if this becomes the focus of every African government. We've got a very youthful uh, population. What is it that they're going to need in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years? What can we create right now that will be invaluable in the next 10 years? And as entrepreneurs, this is where your ears prick up, right? Because your mind has the opportunity to start creating solutions. Solutions that when they look at now, they might not make sense. But in the next 10 years, when the idea's time has really come, it will make sense. Who thought companies like Zoom would all of a sudden be the uh, uh, video conferencing platform to be on uh, uh, in 2020? Who thought? Nobody even looked at that, right? But the opportunity was there, right? On the sidelines, not really in the main path, but on the sidelines, it was there. And I'm sure the inventors and the designers and the creators of Zoom they probably didn't see it being what it is now. In some extent, they could just say, thank you, COVID. You made us very popular, very famous. But yeah, that's for them. What did we do as Africa? Where are we? Where are we in the economic participation of the globe? Because we adopted these systems, right? We adopted these systems. Yes, we're questioning why they exist, but we adopted these systems. And whilst we're trying to build our own, we're going to have to function within these systems. And that's why that's why we need to get a good grasp of how things work, how economies are, are, are built and created, and, uh, and how to, to really be independent, think for ourselves, and not have some economic analyst sitting in London somewhere telling us that Africa is going to be this in the next 10 years. Where is our people you get it? Where is that? Where is, where, is, where is the information from us? Where are the data analytics companies from Africa? Where are the statistics from Africa? Of course, you could say, yeah, each government is collecting its own statistics. Like, really? If you have gone through a census, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have gone through a census, you know exactly how inaccurate that information can be. You know exactly that information that people say most of the times isn't even true. You know exactly. And this is an opportunity for us as entrepreneurs to create systems, systems, accurate systems. One of the reasons I actually started this was because I want to confront those blanket statements. Oh, yeah, we expect this to happen by this time. Where did you get the data? Or where is it? I want to look at it. I want to come up with my own conclusion on that data. We don't have those data sets. We don't have that infrastructure in place. And this is a call for every entrepreneur out there. If you can create a system, create it. Create it. Even if you have to sell it for one rand, create it. 
You understand? Because it's information that will be helpful, not only for the growth of the continent, but for your growth as a business. So you need to create that information and make sure that all those things are working together so that we create our own body of knowledge, right? As the African continent. This is the scramble and petition, right? We are the ones that have to be running around seeking the opportunities that are in Africa right now. And there is, um, it's a program I was looking at. It's called uh, Growth Africa Acceleration Program. I think that's what it's called, Growth Africa Acceleration Program. These are some of the things that we need to look at as entrepreneurs, right? Right now, there's a call for, for, for entrepreneurs in Ethiopia, Ghana, Uganda, Zambia, you know, all of those things. These are opportunities that we need to be talking about. But who's talking about it? We just keep these closed circles, closed circles. How are we going to grow the continent if information is not flowing. And that's kind of the reason, one of the reasons actually I built the Big Shot Business Network so that information flows, right? Information has to flow. If information doesn't flow, then that means we are all pulling, but we're pulling in different directions. If we want Africa to grow and go in the same direction, we have to be pulling in the same direction. And this uh, Growth Africa opportunity, uh, their businesses that they're looking into you know, agribusinesses, education, IT, mobile solutions, technology-enabled businesses, uh, financial services, fintech, renewable energy, what, uh, water and sanitation, health, manufacturing and processing, retail and e-commerce. All of these are opportunities all over the continent. Things that we need to take care of as entrepreneurs. So until we start looking at Africa as the home of all the opportunities that we would ever need, all these opportunities will be taken by other people and mostly people from outside, from the West, from the East. You see, this is why we have to take that first step. We have to be the first ones in the line. I remember, uh, I believe it was, I think it was episode three, actually, when I was talking to, to, to David and he was saying, we cannot expect aid if we haven't done much. If Africa is the biggest market, then we have to be the first in line. You see, we have to be the first in line to take advantage of those opportunities. So the opportunities are there and the statistics that are being collected by organizations like the Africa Development Bank, organization like um, World Economic Forum, all of those statistics and all that data, all of it is pointing to huge opportunities in Africa, huge growth potential in Africa. And I implore every entrepreneur out there to take up the time and look at it from a very sensible point. Could I create something today that will become invaluable in 10 years? Something that African youth, which would be the biggest market, African youth could use and find useful for their lives or find they cannot be without it for their lives, right? I think one of the things that they forgot to list in that in the list of opportunities that are there is e-government. We are moving at a fast pace when it comes to adoption of technology on the continent, right? And with that comes the burden. Why do I have to go to the government office to do particular things? Why am I not doing everything I need to do with the government from the comfort of my seat at home, right? People will be asking that. And these are some of the systems that we need to build, right? 
why do we have conflict when it comes to elections? Why can't we build a system that can get rid of all the conflict areas and this system becomes what we then use to manage our elections and they become free and fair because there's no interference? Why are we not looking at those things? Because those things will become invaluable in the near future. And this is a call for every entrepreneur to actually start looking into situations like that, start looking into solutions that you can create that might not make sense today, but will definitely make sense um, for the future that we're getting into. And I definitely want to be part of it. I don't want to miss out in seeing the most youthful continent become something greater than, than we've ever seen. You know, I was I was listening to a documentary some time back and this American uh, gentleman was talking about how Africa uh, uh, civilized Europe twice. He mentioned that the Greeks got their 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 civilization from the Egyptians. And <laughs> he further on goes to say North Africa had to move into Spain and restart civilization after the fall of the Roman Empire. Anyways, I was never much into history, but I found that very interesting. And this is information that is beginning to pop up. And African youth have access to it now, you see. So that means as entrepreneurs as well, we need to be aware of the things that um, our continent is becoming aware of. The information that our continent is feeding on. We need to be aware so that we don't miss the opportunities that are there for us to create value in the marketplace and create services in the marketplace. All right. Uh, that's all I had to say about this. I'm looking forward to actually doing another episode on this because I believe it's a vast topic. Um, I'll try to bring in scholars. I'll try to bring in um, perhaps historians and economists. Hmm. We'll see how that goes, but um, it's really a great opportunity and a great time to be living in, uh, particularly because of what Africa is becoming. And this is what banks are beginning to tell their investors that, hey, look out, Africa is becoming a very, very youthful continent more than any other, making it the continent of the future. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Be sure to join millions of fellow entrepreneurs at Big Shot Business Network. For this week's show notes, visit likeabigshot.com slash podcast. Until next week, this has been the Big Shot Business Podcast.